Jesus is king. That's what I know. Amen. So we'll start at the top. Miss Bailey Hammock. I've known her her whole life. Her granddad and my dad were really good friends. And her dad and my brother were Bible school roommates. And so that's really kind of cool that the Lord um, sent Bailey to us. I had an encounter with Jesus in 1989, and he told me that he wanted... um, he told me that he wanted us to recruit, train, place, and pastor missionaries, and I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. <laughs> and then we walked a long pathway, and in 2012, we trained our first team, and then in 2015, we trained our second team. And uh, everybody but Jacob are off of that second team. And so Bailey is down in Nicaragua. She serves on the team there under my son, Jacob, and Cassie. And Cassie uh, is about to have our third grandson. Yay, I'm happy. <laughs> in just not very long, in about a month, yeah, in the middle of October. So we're really happy about that. Um, uh, they're doing really good. They got... we. We opened up the country of Nicaragua. We went down there for the first time in 2012, and I made scout trips all over the country in 2013, and the Lord has just done amazing things, and we got a beachhead there, and we got registered with the government, and we got some churches going, and they're expanding. And then, you know, Jacob, he grew up on the mission field, and and uh, my dad was a contractor, and and a manufacturer, and so he trained me to work, and so he watched us work hard, and then he worked hard with us, and so he knows how to work hard. So, um, and they're pretty undaunted because in our training, we um, we use uh, a wilderness semester where we go into the mountains uh, in the western United States, and we sleep on the ground, and we do a lot of really cool stuff. At least I think it's cool. And uh, some people, when they first start, they don't think it's so cool, but then they they come to think it's cool, and it really kind of resets their envelope about what possibility is. And anyway, they went the other day, and and uh, they they got on this boat, and they went hours up this river, and they found people who still worship the corn god. Isn't that cool? Well, it's not cool that they worship the corn god, but it's cool that life walked into their village and. And they have an invitation to go back. And, and uh, then they got invited to this island. There's 2,000 people in this particular people group in, Nicar- in Nicaragua. And 1,500 of them live on this island. And you can't get on the island without invitation. And they invited them out there. And uh, they talked about Jesus. And, and uh, they did right. And God helped them. And they got an invitation to return. That's really pretty cool, right? And... Uh, and that was with a new guy, a guy that was becoming a new pastor with us. And since then, they've gotten a church started in Bluefields, Nicaragua, which is way down on the one of the oceans, on the Caribbean Ocean, Caribbean Sea, Ocean. What is it? You know what I'm talking about. It's that big old pond down there on the bottom. <laughs> and then Cameron and Michaela, they served like, Uh, Pastor Quentin said for a long time in uh, his dad's church where they were also on staff and um, served under Pastor Quentin. And so it's really a blessing. I want to tell you something. There's 
there's nothing like being around somebody's kids and or disciples that will tell you about the substance of somebody's life. And so it's one thing to hear somebody preach. It's another thing to kind of get in the weeds next to people that they influence. And so Quentin and Jen really sowed their lives into Cameron and Michaela. And I will tell you, they are incredible people because of the years and the effort and the quality investment they made in their life. And so... You really, God really has blessed you guys with the pastor that he's given you. And I know you know that and you're coming to know that even more. And so I have an interest. I, I, I love them. And so that makes me love y'all. Now I got to meet you. And so, oh man, I guess y'all are stuck with me for a while. <laughs> and so anyway, they're doing really good on the team there. And that we just had a miracle. There's been a lot of things that that's happened, but we just had a miracle in Mexico. We were toying around with uh, with doing an agricultural co-op and and a way to to kind of get traction and an engagement with our national pastors. And so uh, we came up with this coffee and allspice co-op idea and so we were working on some of that stuff and Jacob he was younger when we were praying through all that and talking about it and it just kind of got in, kind of got in his heart and then when they got down on the ground in Nicaragua he starts telling me dad dad we got to do the coffee farm we got to do the coffee farm here and I'm like okay son um you got you got I got we got to learn about Nicaragua and the demographics and this and that and so you need to start giving me getting me information and so my youngest daughter got married in April, this, this past April. She's the one that's in the hospital right now. But they came out for the wedding. And then they were up here at our place, at our office, just before they were getting ready to go back to Nicaragua. And he was just, he was just talking about the coffee farm, and they had all been praying. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you point people in the right direction... And you give them permission to believe God, amazing things can happen. So when you, when you help people's thinking go in the right direction and you move boundaries and you move limits off of them and you'll just let them go in God and, and you encourage them, man, really cool stuff can happen, you know. And so anyway, he was talking, dad, dad, you know, this, that, and the other. And God, we got to do the coffee farm. I'm like, I agree with you, son, but, you know, <laughs> it costs lots of money to buy coffee farms, especially ones that are good and, and, it, and you know that has all the right stuff, the right altitude, the right soil, and the right climate. And so he, there, they've been talking, they've been praying. They're like, we believe it's God, and they're, they're all in this, right? And they and they get together and they're talking and they're all excited about Jesus. And so you know, I I think we ought to just fan the flames. So I'm agging them on, you know. That's right. But I don't know when it's going to happen, you know. And so so there was a strategic person that heard that conversation, went down to Nicaragua in July, and I blinked. And we ended up with a 122-acre AAA-rated coffee farm. <laughs> yes. So, you know, 
You know when the fishermen were out there fishing in the, in the, in the late Gospels and they couldn't catch any fish? You know that story? And Jesus went over there and he hollered at them, Hey, throw the net on the other side. And they're like, you know, that's about 20 feet different. What does that matter? Uh, they've been out there fishing all night and they got empty nets. And all of a sudden they do, they, they, something happens and they do what Jesus says. And man, they all of them put together can barely get the net in the boat. And the nets were tearing. It caused all kinds of problems, Right? Well, that's the kind of thing that just happened with us with the coffee farm. Because <laughs> we got us a big learning curve to go through. And there's some miraculous stuff happening there. And, and so I don't have time to really give you all the details. But thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting us. And thank you for supporting them. They're excited about Jesus. Uh, they're... they're Sorting through lots of problems, and they're learning a lot. Oh, yeah, and so the team that was in Nicaragua before them that opened the country for us, they got this fellow born again. And they were going out there, you know, to start from scratch, it's really hard because they, nobody knows you, and they wonder, why are you here? And, and so that maybe they'll let you in their house or maybe not. And it's, it's just this kind of arm's length thing. Well, this guy got saved. Let's see. There he is. That's right. You guys helped him buy that motorcycle right there. So that guy right there, that's Juan Luis and his son. And Juan Luis is on the right. He's the one with the thumbs up. And so he got saved. And... You know, they do this thing where, where, where the vast majority of the people there, they're not legally married. They just kind of start living together, and then they have a family, and then they have kids, and the kids grow up, and they have grandkids. And that's the culture of what's there. Well, we start, we start the gospel comes in and starts to change the way people think. And starts to cause you to engage and move toward God, which causes ripples in the immediate surroundings in your society and in your culture. And so, he had been with his wife for, I don't know how much of years, over 20 years. No, 15 years. How long? Yeah, he had other women, but he was with this one for years and years and years, a long time. And so anyway, he got saved, God, and so did his wife, and then God started working in him, and this is the, the, the relational discipleship process that started happening. And then when Cameron and Michaela and Jacob and Cassie and Bailey, when they all got down there and they got in place, he all of a sudden started lighting on fire for Jesus. And he got baptized, they baptized, they baptized him in the river, the river was really shallow, so they had to put, fill up bags full of sand and kind of make a dam and scoop out and fill in and scoop out and fill in and get enough, get enough wherewithal to do the baptism. And man, like over 80 people showed up for the baptism. A bunch of pagans came because they're wondering, what is this, you know? And so they're watching. And then the next day, or, or was it the next day? Two days later. So, 
See, I'm getting the story all wrong. I should have just let her tell it. So he decided we're going to have a wedding. And I'm going I'm to get married because they don't get married because they want an out. Because what if? What if things don't work out? Even though they may stay together for 30 or 40 years, they still want to out. And they'd be grandpas and grandmas and great-grandpas and great-grandmas, and they still want to out. And so since, God, since marriage is, is God's institution and there's all kinds of kingdom and gospel things associated with that, um, it, took, it took a few years of talking and of transformative work after they met Jesus, but then they decided to get married. And then they had this wedding in their village, and how many people? 89 people came to the wedding. There he is getting married. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Y'all making me look good. 89 people came, and it was the largest social event that any of them know about that ever happened in that village. And then the next day, or the day after that, they did the baptism. And all the people that came to the wedding, I think almost all of them, came to the baptism too. And that man right there is on fire for Jesus. And you guys helped him buy a motorcycle, and now he's already gotten three other villages open. Which what that means is he's got, he, on his own initiative, had enough caring for the souls of his neighboring villages that he went and he told them what he had been told and he was all excited and he did what we do when we go there, which is teach the Bible and pray and point people toward Jesus. And people in three surrounding villages have given their hearts to Jesus and now he's making disciples. And his son got saved and lit on fire too. That was that, that, that man that was in the picture with the motorcycle with him. And so Jacob and his team, Cameron, Michaela, Bailey, they go out there on a regular basis and they're doing what I do to them, fanning the flame. Fanning the flame. And we also work really hard at trying to frame the right frame of mind. Because serving God creates turbulence and problems. Obedience, you know, it's just like when Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. Well, they did what Jesus said when Jesus said where Jesus said and how Jesus said to do. And that, that's probably a pretty good definition of a, of a good disciple, to do what Jesus says when he says, how he says, where he says, right? But in the middle of that obedience, we have this assumption that obedience is our guarantee of a smooth future. And oftentimes it's actually quite the opposite. Because what did the disciples find when they got out there in the middle of the lake? Oh, the waves were contrary, and it was a storm, and it was scary, and they were like, oh, help us, Jesus. There was another time the same thing happened, except Jesus was with them, and he was so concerned he was asleep. (laughs) And that's really how it is. So often when we do what Jesus says, when he says, how he says, where he says, we run into storms. We run into problems. 
or if we dare to believe beyond ourselves, and a miracle happens in the area beyond ourselves, it causes an opportunity for learning like Mountain Gateway with a coffee farm in Nicaragua. Right? Throw your net on the other side of the boat. And man, your nets are tearing and it's, it takes exertion and teamwork. And they were probably aggravated at each other because Simon over here, he wasn't pulling as hard as, 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 as John thought he ought to pull. And you know, it's all those, I can promise you that stuff was happening. Right? Opportunity. But it, created, it creates dynamics that are designed to help us move forward. And when the devil twists in our minds the angle or the perception of that turbulence, man, he can really trap our lives and suck us right down and keep us in the seat. Right, And so what I want to talk to you to, about tonight is opportunity. Everybody say opportunity. opportunity. So in our training of missionaries, we start off with 90 days in the, in the deep wilderness. And so in 2012, I had our, our team out there and, and we would start the morning with three hours of prayer. And we were just out in the mountains and so I sent everybody off to their sit spot and I tell them, you go pick a spot and I want you to go there every day for the next month and you got to go there for three hours and I want you to observe and I want you to spend time with Jesus and, and I want you to see what happens. And when you come back, I want, I want you to pick one word that is a, uh, an, an adjective, a descriptor for your day. And it can't be good, awesome, or epic. It's gotta, you got, I want you to think. You, let's use some creativity. And so we were about halfway through that month. And I was walking out there to go sit down on my sit spot. And the Lord says to me, Okay, smart Alec. No, he didn't say smart, that, but that's, that's what this means. He says to me, Son, I want you to give me one word that describes everything I've called you to do for the rest of your life. And I'm like, uh... So he's, I know what he's doing. He's, really, he was saying, okay, smart Alec, you're so smart and you want them to give you a descriptor. How about you give me a descriptor? Well, you know what? When God asks a question, it's not because... He, he lacks information. Right? He knows everything. So if he's asking us a question, it's not, cause, it's not for his benefit, it's for ours. And I'm like, Lord, I, I'm not smart enough to think that. Now I'm nervous. Because I got the king of the universe asking me for a word. I'm like, this is a test. This is a big test. And I don't want to fail this test. And so I'm going along and... He gave me the word. He said to me, I know that you can't come up with this word, so I'm going to tell you this word. I mean, who's smart enough to pick one word to describe everything that God's told him to do? And he spoke this word to me, opportunity. And he told me, he said, I want you to start thinking about this word. 
And I'm going to take you on a journey through my, my, my word. And I want you to start seeing opportunity. And so he started doing that. And it, it really had, it fit with many things that he had already been doing. And it was kind of a, a, a cohesion of ideas and things. But this really, this, this, this is a big deal. You know, I shared, I shared a few stories about miracles this morning. And those are encouraging, right? Well, you know, every one of those, every one of those miracles came from a problem. How many of you like the fact that God heals? Raise your hand. Well, you know, healing means nothing without sickness. So really, the opportunity that there is in sickness is sickness is actually healing's opportunity. Do you see that? Because I can promise you that if the devil can get you to... Think about the realities of your life in the wrong direction. He will drain the fuel out of your hope meter. And so let's read some uh, in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. There are some verses here that w- when you really start grappling with a serious problem and you cross swords with it, these verses seem to be elusive and unattainable. How about this one? Be joyful always. Pray continually. And give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now this is not a holy suggestion. This is a command. And Jesus already said in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commands. But he hadn't just told us what he wants out of us, which is his expectation that he places on us. He's given us the comforter and the power of the Holy Spirit and his grace to empower us to fulfill his own expectation. That's, what, that's why the good news that we have, the gospel that we have, is such an amazing, amazingly good deal for us. Right? And so, but if you're like me, you've probably been in a situation where you didn't feel joyful, right? I did not feel joyful last night when I, when I was sitting at the table in Pastor Quentin's house trying to work out the details of how to respond to my little girl going in an ambulance to see a specialist. That didn't feel very joyful. But that doesn't change the reality of what the Lord wants out of us. And so, so often I've heard this, I heard this taught growing up, because I grew up in the church, give thanks for all circumstances. Is that what it says? It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. And those are two different ideas. To give thanks for is one thing. That's not what the Lord is asking. But to give, to be thankful in, that is what He's asking. And so how to appropriate His power so that our life is full of gratitude no matter what comes at us. 
Because I can promise you that there's things that we cannot change, that we cannot stop, no matter what happens. There are things that come that we get stuck in the dynamics, and the way out is just to have to go through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you are with me. That's what the Scripture says, right? It doesn't say the valley of the shadow of death and the circumstances there disappeared. And so God is not the author of these bad things. And so really what he's talking to us here about is transcendence. How do we connect with God in a way and and how do we change our thinking in a way where we can still utter thanks to God when we're stuck in something that is unreconcilable and terrible. Because if the devil figures out that he can use leverage in your life to steal your joy and this, that, and the other, and ultimately he wants to get you to turn your back on God, he just will have a heyday. So it says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't put out the, the, the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. The source of the gratitude that we offer back to God is God Himself. Look at 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 through 5. It says, actually let's start at... um, Verse 3, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have been promised divine power to destroy strongholds both in our own life and in the lives of others. But where do those strongholds exist? What does this say? Is it, you know, is it is it the idol in idolatry? Is it that idol that's the stronghold? Is it some holy mountain somewhere in Tibet that Tibetan Buddhism centers around and it's holy and it's demonic and it's all these things. Is is that a stronghold? Is that where the strongholds are? No. The stronghold is in our thinking. It's inside here. Why? We don't we don't let's see for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension 
that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every what? Thought. Strongholds exist in people's thinking. And the power of a particular principality, it doesn't have to do with his intrinsic strength. It has to do with how many people he has bent the thinking of. So like Islam, Islam controls over one billion people. That's why he's got so much strength. Because he controls, he's catalyzed wrong thinking in a lot of people's minds. Does that make sense? And so what we want to do tonight is help us have a different angle. Let's change our thinking a little bit. So look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This is a, this, boy, this is an awesome verse. This is one of the promises that we can lay claim to. But let's talk about what it means just a second. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. There is nothing that can happen in your life that can overpower God's ability to turn it for good in your life. God is not the origin of that terrible thing that's happening. But in His love and His power, if we engage with Him, there is nothing that can happen in your life that can overpower the power of God to turn it for eternal good in you. That's what that verse means. And this is not a guarantee that bad things are not coming. And so it says in verse 35, look, it says, "...who shall separate us from the love of Christ?" Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword? As it is written, For your sake we faith death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors, we exceed. We're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So what is it that we're to conquer? Is it merely the cessation of the circumstance? Is, is what, it, what this is talking about, is this only having to do with a change in circumstance? Sometimes it does. If we are sick and God heals us and we get a miracle, there's a change in circumstance. Right? And God, out of His mercy, He changes our circumstance. He rescues us because He's our Father and He loves us. But sometimes... He doesn't rescue us from those things. Sometimes He does. But 
What is the thing that causes us to be more than conquerors? How about he gives us the ability to not be affected by the circumstances that happen to us? And when I say not be affected, what I mean is that those circumstances and the effect that it's having in our life don't bend us in a negative direction and that, that don't cause us to trend away from God or that don't cause us to, to disengage. Because I will promise you that when you become a person who becomes more and more impervious to the pry bars of the devil. Because if he knows he can affect you with circumstances, he's going to keep throwing them at you. And he doesn't fear you at all. The person that he really fears is the person who really doesn't care because they live dead. And because of the power of God in our attitudes, we become undaunted. Do you know what undaunted means? It means immovable. Having incredible resilience, durability, durable faith. It says in Proverbs that a righteous man falls seven times, but it gets up. It's not the fall that's the issue. It's that he keeps getting up, right? And so to be more than conquerors, more than just people who see victory in the change of circumstances. How about victory on this level too? How about the effect of circumstances where we can stand with a backbone for God and stand in His love and His life and not be dissuaded from seeking God no matter what happens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... In the Babylonian Empire, you know, they made a stand for God. And they got thrown into a furnace and the king got mad because he wanted them to worship him. And they couldn't. They made a stand for God. They made turbulence in their social circles, in the society, and in the culture. They stood against it. And they told the king, our God is able to save us. But if he doesn't, I'm still not bowing. Now, exactly, what can the devil do with us if we think like that? I mean, that's like weird. That's why we're called peculiar people. Right? So, Colossians 4.2. Let's look at that real quick. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. So what does this verse talk about? Devotion, prayer, watchful, thankful. Attitude is the thing that determines whether we get bitter or whether we get better when stuff happens. Let's, let's do a survey. Can we do a survey real quick? How many of you before you got saved ever had a problem? Maybe just one time. Okay, that's 100% there. What about after you got saved? Maybe you had a problem once. After you got saved, raise your hand. 
Oh, man, so maybe life is just a problem. No, I want everybody to say this. Problems are opportunities. Problems are opportunities. I don't believe that God is the author of all those problems, but He is the one who helps us change the problem into an opportunity because of His power and His love. Attitude is the thing that determines whether we come to the bitter end or a better beginning. It's all in the way you look at it. We, and, and, and if... If we become bitter, who does it? Is it the circumstances that embitter us? No, the circumstances are benign. They just are what they are. If I'm out in the backcountry and I'm walking along and a hailstorm comes and the trail ice is over and the temperature drops 50 degrees, well, my its effect on me is absolutely the same whether I'm there or not. I do not impact that hailstorm at all. But I determine how much it impacts me. Right? How about this one? Let's say that me and you, we're doing something. And I do something that really irritates the fire out of you. And you say, you just, <coughs> Brit, you just made me so mad. Really? Man, I got a lot of power. Somehow I crawled inside his hypothalamus at the bottom of his brain stem, the seat of his emotions. I seized control and I made it where he had no choice. I made him mad. Really? That's, boy, I've got lots of power. Is that what happened? My actions caused him to choose to get mad, but he's the one that got mad. If I get mad at you, I'm the one that's getting mad. You're not making me anything. It's time for us to stand up and own who we are. And we can choose to get mad or we can choose not to get mad. And if we have a temper or we have all these things, then God has made provision to help us in those circumstances with His power. But it all has to do with how you look at it. What your perception is. Suffering produces one of two things in us. Bitterness or brokenness. Brokenness produces one, one of two things in us. Humility or self-pity. Think about it. Attitude is what determines the outcome of these things in our lives. I don't know anybody that really wants the condition that bitterness lands us in. Have you ever been around a bitter person? Man, their life is just terrible. Who made it terrible? Did the circumstances that was their opportunity for brokenness and life and humility, is that what, is that what caused, is that what made them bitter? No, they made themselves bitter. And we really have to get engaged with God and choose to work with Him. And I don't mean to make light of any circumstances or situations that have really caused us to struggle. God's okay with the struggle. 
But we've got to engage with him and go in the right direction. To go into bitterness is the wrong direction. Because it's so destructive on, in your own heart and life. We are never really victims of our circumstances. We're only victims of our attitude about our circumstances. And that's the truth. Our degree of thanksgiving stems directly from how we perceive our circumstances. And so we need to engage with God to get Him to help us change our perception. So let's look at some opportunities. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 through 9, and then 15 and 17. You know what this is. This is... Boy, this would ha- why did this have to be in the very beginning of the book that all this happened? Right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, what does it say? It says, The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted, in garden, planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the food and pleasing to the eye. They were good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, there would have been a lot of stuff avoided had he not done that. Right? But God did this great experiment. And his experiment was about love relationship. And for it to be truly a love relationship, what has to happen? There has to be voluntary choice. Right? I love my wife, but I chose, I picked her of all the other women that were, that were around me in my life at the time. I picked her. She picked me. That's one of the central ingredients of love. And that's what God wants. He wants to be chosen by us from our hearts. So there had to be a choice. And then look at 15, verse 15. It says, the Lord took the man and he put him in the garden and he took it uh, to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from the tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So what was this? Man, I think, oh, I just wish God hadn't done that. But what was he doing? Right here was, a, was an opportunity to obey. Do you see that? And so what happened in chapter 3? Temptation happened. In chapter 3. And the serpent, he came, he came to Eve and he started twisting the intent of God and he twisted his words. And what happened? And I used to think, oh, I wish the temptation wouldn't happen. But the temptation is the opportunity to resist that temptation. Do you see that? How about this one? Genesis chapter 6. Verses 5 through 9, it says, um, 
The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind who I created from the face of the earth, men and animals, creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So this this is a bad condition, right? But think about it this way. The wickedness of mankind gave Noah the opportunity to be found blameless. Right? Do you see that? Noah's righteousness was an opportunity for the demonstration of deliverance. Is that cool? Oh, yeah. How about this one? You know the story of Joseph? Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. Man, what a bummer. I mean, just think of that. What if your brothers threw you in a well and sold you to somebody in another country? That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? But you know what it was an opportunity for? For forgiveness and salvation and deliverance. Because that put Joseph in a position to do extraordinary things later. And it's not recorded that Joseph ever had a bad attitude. He certainly did not spiral down into bitterness. He stayed engaged with God. And blessing followed him everywhere he went, even in the bondage that he was in. And there's, there's tons of great lessons in Joseph. How about Moses? Forty years in the, in the desert gave Moses opportunity for incredible encounter with the living God. Forty years. Man, that's a long time messing with smelly sheep. You ever been around a sheep? They stink. Forty years. But that put him right at the right place at the right time. And he had this amazing encounter. And all of history changed because of it. Do you see that? How about Gideon? His weak, we talked about him this morning. His weakness was an opportunity for God to show his power. Because the weak are less likely to claim glory. Samuel. Dedication and dwelling in the presence of God was an opportunity to God, for God to find somebody trustworthy enough to entrust himself with in a particular way. 1 Samuel 3, 7. That little boy grew up in the presence of God, and he was there day and night. And then one day, God came, and he called him by name. Right? His devotion, he grew in God. He executed his calling. And he was at the right place at the right time because of his devotion that he proved himself trustworthy with a special and unique relationship with God. And when God came and talked to that little boy, he didn't give him some prophetic word and he didn't send him to do anything. He merely just told him what he was going to do. God wanted to talk to somebody that would listen. And he had an amazing relationship with him. How about Elijah? You know, in First First Kings... 17, 17 through 20, 23, it talks about the, 
the this widow had the son, and that son died. And that was a very sad thing. But that dead son was an opportunity for God to raise the dead. Because you can't raise the dead without a dead person. Right? Everybody likes to hear about those miracles, but man, it's terrible to be around death. We so often focus on the bad without realizing the opportunity for God's glory. You tracking with this? How about David? Let's look in Acts. Acts, let's, uh, let's go to Acts chapter 13. Y'all still with me? Acts 13 verse 20. All this took place about 450 years. And after this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, the son of Kish, at the tri- of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. And after removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. Now, I think this is an extraordinary verse. You know, we testify about God all the time. But just what does he say about us? Because he had something cool to say about this man, and he kept saying it over and over and over and over. God really liked David. He loves everybody, but I don't know, you know, you know how that goes. He really liked David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David's heart gave him an opportunity to be greatly used by God. And you and I have the same possibility. We have the same opportunity because of the blood of Jesus. Because I will tell you, your life is writing a testimony. It's leaving a testimony. It's either positive or negative. And God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And so in the end, it can end up all positive. If we engage with God. Because I want God to one day testify about me. I want him to say about me, good job, son. I want him to say about me, you did everything I want you to do. How many of you have raised kids? How many times... Did you have to tell your son or your daughter, go brush your teeth? You lost count. First, you start doing it, and they have one little tooth in their head, and you do it for them, right? And then, they, and then you know, they get more teeth. And then, oh, go brush it. My dad used to tell me, son, go brush your green teeth. <laughs> go brush your teeth. Go brush your teeth. Go brush your teeth. Ay, caray, hasta aquí con estos. Right? But you know, you know, you tell, you tell them and you input and you tell them and you train them and you input and you think, oh my gosh, what happened to their brain sometimes? <laughs> but have you ever been in a situation where you observed or you heard somebody say, how they conducted themselves in a situation, or you watch them, they synthesized the input that you've given them in their life, and they did something that just made you feel extraordinary. You know that feeling? And you're like, that's my boy right there. (laughs) Yeah, baby. Hey, let me tell you, 
And you call everybody and you send them text and you drive everybody crazy with how great your son or your daughter and what they did. You know that, isn't that, you felt that? You see, there's a difference between just doing what you're told to do and doing what you know your father wants you to do, but he doesn't say anything about it. And that's why David was such a big deal. He didn't just do what he was told to do. He figured out the nature of his father and he pleased him by doing what he wanted him to do even when he wasn't telling him to do stuff. And we have that same setup, right? God is making an eternal lesson out of our life and so our attitude and our level of submission to Jesus determines the eternal example of our life, whether it's good or bad. So what we need to do is submit to Jesus and take the opportunity that the cross created for us. How about Jesus as an example? Well, Jesus is everybody's opportunity to know God. There's not one person that the door, that the opportunity is closed to that while they're living. God is not willing that any should perish, but that every man come to eternal life. He's not slow and about keeping his promise. He just doesn't want anybody to perish. So let's... Here's my last example in Luke chapter 8. And this is about the woman with an issue of blood. So Luke chapter 8 verse 40 says... Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. This is a bad problem, right? As Jesus was on his way. Now, why was he going this particular direction? Down these partic- this particular street, why was he headed in that direction? It was opportunity, but it was somebody, somebody's worst nightmare. His daughter was dying. So we got told about it, and he started walking. And he's walking to this, he's on his way to this man's house. Right? This is a terrible problem. And then he gets notice, says, Jesus was on his way and the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. And she came up behind him and she touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the, the people are crowded around impressing you. And pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, I know, because power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she, why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith is healed, you go in peace. And while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. 
Now, I think this is one of the most extraordinary passages in the Bible, and it reveals some dynamics. Jesus was going to fix somebody's problem. And that put him in the position that gave another woman access to Jesus. Jesus was not looking for that woman. He was not going to her house. He was walking down the street in the location where she was. And what put him in that location was a death. And he was going to do something about that death. And indeed he did. He went and he raised that little girl from the dead. But I want us to understand that somebody somebody else's worst nightmare set up the solution for the woman who was sick for 12 years and couldn't get healed. That death was her opportunity. Do you see that? And often we don't want to fight our way through the turbulence of what surrounds Jesus to get a hold of him. But we have to get we have to get a copy on this woman's attitude. She recognized her opportunity was walking down the street. But it wasn't coming to her. It was going somewhere else. She's weak. She'd been sick for 12 years. And the press of people around Jesus was so tight. They were, they were just all crowded around him. So she had to put effort into getting close to Jesus. Do you see that? Here comes Jesus. He's walking down the street. Had she not fought through the turbulence around Jesus... Her opportunity would have just walked right by her and she would have stayed sick and she would have just died of that sickness. And so often we sit and we say, we're, the devil's lying to us, telling us, Jesus, he's not coming to your house. He don't care. He always goes to somebody else's house. He always touches somebody else. He don't even know you're here. This is one of the most theologically ex, uh, uh, extraordinary concepts that exist. How can a God who knows everything not know who touched him? He was not focused on her. He was surprised by her. That's what it says. When you study it, it means caught off guard, surprised, astonished. And boy, you can, you can figure out how it's possible to astonish Jesus. The same thing happened with the centurion's faith. You go look at the language. He marveled. He was surprised. He was surprised when power went out of him. He, he was not even aware that she was fighting her way to him. And I'm not trying to say that Jesus is ignoring you. That's not where I want your thinking to be. What I want you to see is we have to recognize that from problems come our opportunities. And we have to have the attitude that no matter what it takes, we will fight our way to Jesus. 
and seize our opportunity before it walks by. God said about David, he's a man after my own heart. And the definition of that is he does everything I want him to do. In other words, he exceeds obedience. It's that thing where he's listened to me, give input in his life. He put it together and he, he makes me so proud. That's my boy right there. Oh, that's so terrible, Jairus. Isn't it just, te- did you hear Jairus' daughter's sick? Oh, I'm, it's just horrible. It is horrible. But I'm telling you, there's nothing, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, that can separate us from the love of God. And the devil wants to twist our focus and set our attitudes in a negative direction. But I'm telling you, problems are opportunities. Everybody said, problems. Our opportunities. A problem is nothing but an alternate route to a solution. We have to change our thinking about all these opportunities that are in our life. And somebody else's problem can be the greatest opportunity for you to fight through to Jesus and get a hold of him. Don't let him walk by. Sitting on the sideline, wishing he would single you out and pay attention to you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. But this woman got something extraordinary. And it was so extraordinary, it surprised God. Because she didn't just sit over there going, he's not coming to my house. I wish he would come. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go eat worms. Little bitty skinny worms. Big ugly fat worms. You know you've heard that song? No, you've not heard it. Yeah, I've got all kinds of craziness inside my head. (laughs) Y'all know what the mully grubs are. We just sit around with the mully grubs. We need to appropriate the power of God to change the way we think about all these things that happen. We need to appropriate the power of God so that we begin to express gratitude in the midst of all of our circumstances. And I'm not standing up here preaching or teaching some pie in the sky as a person that's never had struggles or never had bad things happen. We've had a trainload of bad things happen and we've had our struggles just like you have. But we've also seen extraordinary things because somehow we fought through these things that are terrible but we've been able to seize the opportunity in the midst of them. Because if you want to see the power of God You're going to have to get in the weeds with problems. If you want to see people healed, you're going to have to be around sick people, and that's sad. If you want to see God raise the dead, then then you're going to have to be around dead bodies. And so how we think about that really matters. And God wants to forge us into people who are undaunted where we take the hit 
We don't like it. We might cry. We might say to Jesus, can you get us out of this? Just like his son did when he said, Father, is there any way? Can we, can we not have to do this? This cup doesn't taste very good. But it doesn't matter what I want. And it doesn't matter what happens to me. I'll just drink it right to the bottom, Lord. Because if this is what you want. And you see, I think we've built trite doctrines to try to um, really in-run to get us out of things, out of elitism, arrogance, and escapism. Because Jesus wants to transform us. And I've never seen anybody who believes in a prosperity gospel to the point where they believe that God can erase all their problems. I've never seen that succeed, not in one, not one time, not in one life. And the better thing is for us to believe God and to go forward and to be undaunted and to never give up and to keep praying and to keep seeking God and to keep moving forward. But not to withdraw when we get in something that's really terrible. We need the power of God to forge us into an undaunted people with durable faith and the right attitude. First, our attitude. And we got to lock it on to God in a way that it's just, I don't care. My God is able, but if he doesn't, I'm still not bound. I don't care what you do to me, devil. I don't care what happens. I am not submitting. I'm not going to turn my back on God. I'm not going to quit believing in healing no matter how many people I pray for that don't get healed. I refuse to quit. I refuse to give up. No matter. Man, hell fears people who think like that. That's the real army of God and the real threat and the real power in the kingdom of God. So I just want to pray for you all. If you would just stand up. Father, I ask you to help us. Help us see. Help our attitudes be pleasing to you, God. But I confess to you plainly that that's really hard to get our attitudes in line. So we need your power. We need your help adjusting our attitude. And that's why what we have in your presence living inside us, that plan is an extraordinary plan. You know that we, we can't do anything on our own. Without you, we can do nothing. And so you, you sent the comforter to, to fill us with power to help us. But you also want us to help one another. And so, Father, I ask that we get in line. We get in step with you. Help us, Lord, straighten our attitude out. Help us look at the problems and the catastrophes of life in a different light. There's a train load of stuff, Lord, that I, that I am not thankful for. I'm not happy about. I'm not glad they, that those tragedies happened. But, Father, I'm glad that you are in my life and the gratitude that is in my life that's come out of me at those times, Lord. And, and the work that you've done 
in an eternal way in my heart, in my attitude, in my focus, in the way I think, the way I see you, and the way I see others, Lord. So much amazing stuff has come out of so much battle, and only you can do that. And so, Father, I ask for the reality of that verse. He works all things to the good of those that love him, who are called according to his goodness. And, Lord, we're called. You called us. We love you, and we need your help. So right now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you work in every single person. Help us see the opportunities around us, Father. And help us seize the opportunity. Even though it may not be coming to our house. Help us to fight our way to it. And grab it in Jesus' name. Amen.